Dear Lord, thank you for this time where we get to gather before your word, where we get to see the glories of what you will do, Lord, very soon and what you have done. Lord, as we see this completed work that you did 2,000 years ago and also, Lord, the work that you will come back to finish, Lord. Um, thank you that it is finished, Lord, in your son, Jesus Christ. And we can look forward to that day when you will return in your glory, Lord. And in the meantime, Lord, I pray that we would be diligent, Lord, to be found doing your will at your coming, Lord, that we'd be found making disciples, Lord, uh, knowing that it is you who are with us even now, even through the end of the age. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Awesome. Well, we left off in the um, Matthew 23 with the final um, kind of preparations as Jesus was heading towards, heading towards Jerusalem. And as he is doing so, guys, this is where it all comes together. Um, so this is where all of those different sections we've been looking at in Matthew's gospel come to a head finally as we are delving into the city of Jerusalem and approaching that time when our Lord will give himself, where the king will lay down his life for his people. And here we are, Matthew 24, and we're going to open up actually with, um, with some powerful words of what is to come, right? What, um, the coming of the age. Remember we talked about the kingdom last time and some of the components of the kingdom? Well, this time we are going to see um, what those signs will be for the coming of the kingdom. Um, and then finally looking at his death and resurrection and what that means for our lives. So first of all, the coming of the kingdom, what that looks like. And the blanks on your outline there, the king will return imminently. That means it's the next thing. So the king will return imminently, suddenly, and powerfully. He will return imminently. That means it's the next thing on the list. Suddenly and powerfully. So we're going to see that here. So Jesus, he left the temple and was going away. His disciples came to him to point out all the buildings of the temple. But he said, you see these do not. Truly I say, not one will be... One stone will be left on another that will not be thrown down. This would happen just a short um, four decades after this where the temple will be destroyed. And he's saying, hey, don't, don't look to this temple. Look at what is going to really happen. He's sitting on the Mount of Olives, this location from where he'll ascend into heaven, from where he will also return to earth uh, to bring his kingdom. And actually the disciples knowing this from Zechariah that this is where he will return. Um, this is where the kingdom will be established. They asked, tell us, when will the, all these things be and what will be your sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And, and actually here Matthew is going to record in these next two chapters, Jesus' answer to this question, question basically. What is it going to be like? What is going to be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered them and says, see that it's interesting how he starts. You could start off by giving them the answer here, but he starts off with this right here. See that no one leads you astray. Guys, there are very many opportunities to be led astray with, hey, what are the signs of his coming? What, are, what is going to be the end of the age? Actually, if you just turn the clock back a few decades, there have been many people who say, hey, the world's going to end at Y2K. The world's going to end at 2012, right? You know, and you even have movies, right? All these different things about the world's ending. But don't be led astray by these things. Remember the blanks on your outline. It's, yes, it's the next thing that the Lord will return. And yes, it'll be sudden. Guys, it will be when we don't expect, and it will be powerful. It'll be worldwide and cosmic. Um, and many will come saying, I am the Christ, right? We talked about last time in Israel how that is even happening right now. 
in that area and will lead many astray. You'll hear of all these wars and rumors of wars. Guys, things are going on like that even now, but do not be alarmed, right? Be alert, but don't be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. Guys, if you're wondering, hey, when is the end going to be, right? Are we in that kind of final stage right before the end? What are the signs of the birth pains going to be like? Well, guys, all these things will happen. Don't be alarmed. All these are but the beginnings of the birth pains. They will deliver you up to tribulation, put you to death. You'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Um, but guys, mark this as well. That the Well, actually, boy, there's so many details. We don't have enough time. But anyway, um, all these false prophets will come. Right, So don't be led astray by those. All these lawlessness will be increased. The love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Right, We need this endurance in the midst of these times, these trying times. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Right, All nations will be delivering people over, but also the gospel will go towards all nations. Right, These are the signs we need to be looking for. When the gospel goes to the, all the corners of the earth, then the end will come. And these sections are really helpful to read. All these false Christs, different things that happen um, to understand, hey, what will be those signs as the age comes to an end? But guys, the church will be raptured. We'll be with Christ. And then after that, the tribulation will start. Um, that is going to be a seven-year period of time of a lot of pain, a lot of these things going on. But people will come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. How many of you guys have seen um, the movie with Kirk Cameron, um, Left Behind? Have you guys seen that movie before at all? Um, kind of gives this depiction of uh, what that time will be like. All these people, believers from all over the world will be raptured, will be with Christ. Um, but um, people will come to know Jesus during the tribulation as well. Um, tribulation saints. And um, those elect people, um, there would be basically no one left on the earth if they had not been cut short. Um, and so... But for the sake of the elect in those days, it will be cut short. We will be with Christ in the air. But for those who don't know Jesus um, and who come to know Jesus during that tribulation, those days will be cut short. Um, and it'll kind of reach this pinnacle right in the middle of the tribulation where this person will claim himself to be Christ, will set himself up in the, um, in the temple of Jerusalem as a false Christ, um, but that is not the coming of the Messiah, right? He'll lead others astray. Um, guys, it'll be so clear. It'll be powerful. His, his coming. Lightning comes from the east and shines as far as to the west. So will the coming of the Son of Man. Guys, how many of you guys have been outside during a thunderstorm? Anybody? It's awesome. I mean, you, you usually shouldn't be outside during a thunderstorm, but if you can like sit under a, you know, a safe place or something and look outside during a thunderstorm where you can see one rolling in, it's clear, right? It's obvious. It's very clear. In the same way, guys, that is how the Son of Man will come. Jesus will return. It will be very obvious, very clear. And don't be led astray by any of the false things, right? Um, false kind of those different things we were just talking about. Um, so immediately after the tribulation, all of these cosmic signs will occur. Um, and as we see all this happening, no one knows the day or the hour, right? Um, so we see um, kind of this idea that he will come at any point, and we don't know exactly which point that will be. So if someone says, hey, I know exactly when Jesus is coming back, don't believe it, right? Matthew 24 tells us the truth and the reality that the Son of Man is coming at an hour we do not expect. Um, but the whole point of this, too, guys, is that we would be ready, right? We would not be led astray like we talked about a moment ago, but that would be ready for his coming. Um, blessed is that servant to whom the master finds 
doing his will at his coming, right? This is what we ought to be doing. We ought to be doing his will. So what does that look like for our lives? How can we be prepared for his coming? Um, so there's kind of two things I want to cover just for the sake of time. We're going to cover kind of chapter 24 and 25. So the first discussion question there is what steps do you need to take to be found doing his will at his coming? And in chapter 25, the king will return unexpectedly. Um, the parable of the 10 virgins tells us about that. And what do we need to be doing to be prepared for his coming? So the blanks there, how can we be found doing his will at his coming? The king will return unexpectedly. And how can we be prepared for his coming? What would you guys say? Even from looking at th these passages, we were just going over Matthew 24 uh, and 25 or from other texts of scripture. What would you guys say? How can we be prepared um, for his coming? How can we be doing his will, found doing his will at his coming? What are maybe some of those things of doing his will? What does that look like? Absolutely. What we just heard, right? You, you've got those booklets. It's a great way to, you guys could put a Christmas gift in there or something. Uh, for my staff last year um, at, at the dental practice, I put like a, um, some money in there and I gave them the booklet too and told them about like, hey, here's the real reason for Christmas. Just different ideas, right? Of things you can do to help evangelize. Absolutely. What else can you guys think of? What are ways that we can be found doing as well at his coming? Because we don't know when he'll return. Yeah. Just obeying his commandments. Absolutely. What are some of those things? What are some of those things maybe that come to mind that you guys can think of? Maybe some things you know that you need to work on in your own life to be um, doing that. Loving your neighbor. Loving your neighbor, right? And obviously that continues as yourself, right? We naturally love ourselves. What are some of the things we do to love ourselves? We wake up. We feed ourselves, right? <laughs> you know, we, we clean ourselves. We do all these things for ourselves. Guys, what if we, and I'm not saying you need to go home and you need to feed your brother or anything like that, but um, having the same type of care and concern, right, for the other people in your life, thinking about their needs, right? We naturally think about our own needs. How much time do we spend really thinking about other people's needs? Absolutely. That's a really good way we can be found doing his will at his coming. What else can you guys think of? Yes, Emma. Reading our Bible, absolutely. That is going to help fuel us, right, to be wanting to do these things, right, to see God's great love he first gave to us, and that, that'll help us to love others, right? What else can you guys think of? Being examples of other people. Totally, totally. Yeah, we are an example by what we say, what we do, um, different ways that we speak. So, yeah, yesterday we were at the playground Often my kids are not always the best example, even though we're working on that, work in progress. You guys know what I'm talking about, I'm sure. But um, thankfully, they were a good example at the playground um, yesterday. And actually, one of the people who um, was at the playground with us, we were just talking with them. They live close by, and they uh, ended up coming to church today because they knew also Dr. Gossett's, and he invited them to church. And yeah, you know, part of that. And they said our kids were well-behaved, and we're like, oh, great, that's not always the case. <laughs> uh, but anyway, all that to say, your example, it can really help people, guys, hear the gospel. The way that you guys live really speaks volumes. So absolutely, your example is so key. Um, any, anything else you guys can think of? Yeah. Um, yeah, so there, were, there was a couple who came to church, and they had a little, little son, too. And uh, so to the dentist, Dr. Gotsitz, Tom Gotsitz, so yeah, 
yeah, they had connections with him and they came to church, so, which was really, really cool. But anyway, yeah, really nice folks. Anyone else you guys can think of? Anything else? Uh, well, so how can we be prepared, um, be found doing his will at his coming? Yeah. Mm. Absolutely. We're not going to be able to know. And also me- memorizing it is so helpful, right? Because then you can be thinking about it all the time. You don't have to be just right here, you know, reading it all the time. We can't do this. We've got to also do other things in life, right? Like work and serve and live out these truths. But memorizing, you take it with you. It's like a to-go bag. Always there. Actually, this is kind of a weird example, but it's kind of, kind of true. And I'm going to pick on my little son, Cooper. Um, but he... Um, yeah, he's really cute. Anyway, <laughs> um, but he will store food in his cheek. Like, like he'll, he'll be like eating and we'll all be gotten up from the table. Sometimes even an hour will have gone by and maybe we'll give him like a kiss. He's got really kissable cheeks. But anyway, we'll give him a kiss. And it's like something was really firm right there on his cheek. What is that? He's got food like still stuck right, right there in his cheek. And he's just storing it for later. But guys, and actually in Psalm 1, I don't know if you guys remember this. When we went over Psalm 1 in youth group, this was... Uh, maybe a few months ago, but that whole idea of meditating on God's word is that idea of um, the same thing of kind of chewing it, kind of kind of keeping it and constantly kind of muttering on those things, almost marinating right in God's word and having that idea, guys, that is the true way to happiness, right? If you memorize the scripture, you can have it with you, that to-go bag always, right, of food. But anyway, doing that with God's word, right, bringing it back up to mind and constantly thinking about it. You can have it there with you all the time. Other ways you guys can think of, of doing his will at his coming. Those were really good. So, and being prepared. Awesome. One, one thing, too, is just having that whole perspective, right, that he is coming soon, right, and thinking through that. The reality that he could come at any moment, right, and that imminency of that. And also the reality that we're in a war, right? This is serious. Uh, this is not joking around on our way to heaven, guys. There is heaven and hell, and the difference is Christ, right? And we know what he's done for us. This is serious stuff. And we can live our lives in a way that reflects that, right? Putting on the armor of God, going out into war, um, and, and actually being um, diligent with what he's given us, right? Even as the parable of the talents describes, being faithful with what he's given us. Awesome. Well, we're going to go ahead and get into the final narrative now of our time in the Gospel of Matthew. That's Matthew 26 through the end of the whole book. So go ahead and turn over to Matthew chapter 26 now. And this is one of the most sad, probably the second most sad chapter in the whole book of Matthew, Matthew 26. Um, And the blank on your outline there, the king is rejected. The king is rejected by even those he died for. The king is rejected by even those he died for. So Jesus finishes all these sayings and he says to his disciples, um, you know that the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. And they plot together, um, these, these Israelite leaders that we've seen before, to arrest him by stealth and to kill him. Um, and they said, not during the feast, least there be an uproar among the people. They're doing this sneakily, right? They want to take Jesus down, but they want to do it kind of like the mafia in the middle of the night, right? Like what we were doing just now. Um, But Jesus, he is continuing 
to minister to his disciples, right? This whole section of John we've been re- listening to from Pastor Rich is Jesus continuing to minister to his disciples, even though he knows his death is imminent. Um, and one of the 12, um, one of the chief priests, uh, or well, goes to the chief priests and basically um, is given this price of 30 pieces of silver to betray Jesus. And this is the price of a slave too. Uh, you could read more about that in Exodus chapter 21. Also, Zechariah 11 prophesies this, but um, this is the price of a slave. You see what Judas's um, basically value and estimation of Jesus is. Hey, if I'm not going to get the kingdom, then I'm just going to get what I can from this Jesus guy, right, and money. And so that's what he does. He goes to these chief priests and basically gets Jesus for the price of a slave. It is so, so sad to see. Um, and then um, this kind of continuing rejection is, is coming his way, and he's very sorrowful. We see in verse 12, 22 there, um, even um, began, you know, each, each one of the disciples are thinking, hey, you know, is it me? Is it me? And they're very sorrowful. And um, he who's dipped his hand in the dish with me to betray me um, is the one, and obviously it's Judas, as we know. Um, and then he uh, gives that ordinance that we just took of communion um, and just that connection that we can have with Christ, again, ministering to his people, even though he knows he will not be with them much longer. And they sung a hymn on their way to the Mount of Olives. Um, this hymn would have come from Psalm 116 through 118. This is common for the Jews to sing Psalm 113 all the way through 118 on their way to the Passover. Um, and they probably would have sung that section, those two of those three chapters, Psalm 116 through 118, but it talks about the Passover sacrifice that will be bound to the horns of the altar. Just thinking about our Lord as he is doing this, right? And he's singing these things on his way to um, be that sacrifice, right? On our behalf, um, just the intense sorrow and the rejection that he will experience from his own people. Um, but here we also see that from the disciples, right? Um, so we see that he brings these three disciples close to him. And you guys know the story well, um, where um, the three, Peter, James, and John, follow him to that place. And he's praying. And we know, maybe you guys have been in this scenario too. Maybe you've been praying at night and um, just gotten tired, right? Gotten distracted, whatever it might be. Uh, I've, I've definitely been there as well. Um, and Jesus, even in the midst of that, and even in the midst of the difficulty of finding them sleeping and not praying, um, he's ministering to them, right? He's saying, hey, remember the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak, right? And that is what we see in our own hearts too, that weakness of the flesh um, when we're seeking to persevere with Christ. Um, but guys, in the reality, we, we can be weak, but in our weakness, right? That is where he is strong. It's in those moments of sin, right? That we see our need for the savior. We can go back to that first love for him and we can draw closer to him. Um, and Jesus continuing to minister to them, right? And counseling them in those moments. And he's pleading with his father, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, um, your will be done, right? At the end of the day, uh, he's asking if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Um, but he's ultimately committing himself to the will of the father. You guys, if there was one moment, if there's any other way for the father to say, yes, son, I will let this cup not be given to you, right? If there's any way for salvation to come, guys, surely in this moment with the son pleading with the father, please let this cup pass, surely that would have been the moment, right? But there was no other way, right? Our sins were too great and his mercies were great towards us, even greater, right? But in the midst of that, Jesus had to go through that death, that rejection on our behalf, 
Um, and finally, um, he was to be betrayed. Um, and the betrayal and rest of Jesus, you guys um, have seen and read this account before. You guys can go through it more in more detail, but um, maybe on your own. And Caiaphas, the high priest, brings him in. And the Sanhedrin, kind of the leading body of Israel, is gathered together. And they're seeking false testimony against him, right? They know what they're doing is wrong. It's a kangaroo court. It's completely, completely abased of any sort of reality. Uh, or, um, and finally, it comes to the point where the high priest says to him, I jure you by the living God, tell us if you're the Christ, the Son of God. Um, and here Jesus says, you have said so. But from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power coming in the clouds of heaven. This is where the king will be. The high priest actually tears his robes here. And interestingly, if you, um, if you look at the background of this um, from Leviticus, you would know that actually this is committing blasphemy for the high priest to tear his robes. And look at what he says to the king. He says, he has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? Even as he himself is, is doing that blasphemy, right? It's completely wrong, completely opposite. And um, you could read about that more actually in Deuteronomy 19, um, 15 through 20, the false witness and the Leviticus passage is Leviticus 21, verse 10 as well for the high priest not being allowed to tear their garments. So, um, but anyway, all that to say, um, they are just completely rejecting the king, right? And there he is alone. Uh, even Peter denies Jesus, right? So the aloneness is um, very deep, very full. Um, and we're going to actually see this rejection even continue into chapter 27. But before we do, I want to ask you guys a question. You know, thinking about this for Jesus and his, his um, status of being rejected so fully and still continuing to minister, still being faithful to us, how does his faithfulness, right, in this trial um, help us when we sin, right? Because reality is we've all sinned. We've all rejected Jesus in different ways in our own life. And that's the discussion question is how does his faithfulness to us help us when we sin? What would you guys say to that? Seeing Jesus's ability, seeing the rejection he went through on your behalf, um, and really even when you've rejected him too, how does that help us when we sin? His faithfulness, his perseverance in the midst of those trials. What would you guys say? Yeah, Noah. Absolutely. Yeah, Emma. That you're not alone in those things, absolutely. Anything else? And maybe you guys have sinned some time, um, even as Pastor Rich was just saying, you know, and missed a gospel opportunity or whatever it might be. Um, we missed one in... Um, we were down in Innsbruck, and um, how many of you guys have been to Innsbruck before? It's like a bunch of lakes and pretty, just Bria, nice. Anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, exactly, yeah, 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 it's pretty pretty fun. Anyway, so we were down there, we were playing pickleball with this um, other couple, and um, one of the people we were playing pickleball with was just saying, oh, you guys are so kind and courteous, and it was great playing pickleball with you, and that was a wide open door, right, to share the gospel with, with those people. And I completely missed it. I usually go for my safety blanket, which is a gospel track, and just hand that out and say, oh, yeah, here, this is for you. You know, this is why, you know, a million-dollar bill with a million-dollar question on the back. 
Um, and, you know, it's about what happens after you die, about how you can have eternal life through Jesus who died and rose again. And, you know, that's usually my spiel that I'll do, but I didn't have my safety blanket with me. And, and I missed out on that gospel opportunity, right, to tell them why we were kind when we were playing pickleball. And I was like, oh, man, I completely missed Miss that opportunity, and you know we we do those things all the time, right? You know different different things, lying, stealing, you know anger towards siblings, whatever it might be. Um, those things that definitely entangle us, right? How can His faithfulness to us help us when we sin, right? Knowing that um, He can understand and sympathize with those things, knowing He's with us. But what else would you guys say? His faithfulness. How does it help us when we when we sin? even in the midst of all these trials that he went through, his perseverance towards us. How does that help us? Yeah. Absolutely. Jesus went through all of this right on our behalf, all of this rejection. Even if we reject him again, guys, he is still so faithful to us, right? Um, and that should turn our hearts, right? His mercy and grace on us ought to bring us to repentance, right? To turning away from those sins, turning towards him. Absolutely. Anything else you guys can think of? Yeah. Totally. Guys, you can get caught up in the despair of maybe your rejection of Jesus or missing that opportunity or what, whatever it might be. But guys, think about what he did with Peter too, right? You know, Matthew 26 records his denial but, and Peter's rejection of Jesus. But Peter was restored, right? Jesus was very intentional to do so, to, to help Peter say, hey, no, you can turn from this and you can turn towards the right path, right? There is hope for us in Christ. What he's done, absolutely. Anything else? Awesome. Well, let's go ahead and get to, we, that was really the second saddest chapter in Matthew. This coming one is the kind of the darkest of them all. This is uh, the depths of what our Lord went through. And this these final two chapters, because really the darkest and actually the brightest chapter, um, you know, Matthew 27, and there's hints of darkness in 28 too, we'll see the rejection of Israel, but also some of the most amazing, glorious truths in Matthew 28, these two chapters. And actually, um, Psalm 22, if you guys get a chance to read Psalm 22, actually, uh, both chapters quote Psalm 22 quite a bit, Matthew 27 and 28. And in that psalm, we see that David, he is looking forward to that king, remember, who will rule on the throne forever, his offspring, and the rejection that he is enduring, but also how that will lead to the greatest exaltation, right? The greatest suffering in Christ's case led to the greatest of triumphs. And that is what we see through Psalm 22. You'll see three verses on, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then you'll see another three verses of the glory of who God is and kind of this back and forth, back and forth, all the way till this final longer section of darkness and ultimately death. And then this bright section of what comes out of that, which is salvation to the ends of the earth in Psalm 22. But that is exactly the format we're going to see here in Matthew chapter 27 and 28. Um, if you had the chance, and I would still recommend doing this sometime, read Matthew 27, 28, and read Psalm 22 together in one day. as like a three-chapter Bible devotion. It, it's awesome to see those parallels. Actually, I do Psalm 22 first and then read these two chapters. But anyway, we're going to walk through some of that together. So Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, and he changed his mind um, this is what not to do, by the way, with your sin. We were just talking about kind of our sin, what to do with that. He changed his mind. And what does he do? Does he go to Jesus, right? 
Does he seek forgiveness? Or does he just try to make wrongs right on his own strength, right? Um, just kind of still in his own pride. He brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. And notice he, he sees what he did that's wrong. He said, I've sinned by betraying innocent blood. Um, but they said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And sadly, that's exactly what Judas does. Guys, this is what not to do with our sin. Not to just try to muster up our own rationale. Guys, psychology is replete with, it's just full of trying to get people to feel better about themselves within themselves. It's like a hamster on a wheel, um, just kind of rolling around, right? Trying to smash the conscience. Um, but guys, instead of that, instead of turning to your own resources when you've done something wrong, don't do what Judas did. Um, don't just try to do it on your own strength. Go to the Savior, right, who is there for you, who loves you, who was so faithful to even go to the cross, right, on your account, who loves you that deeply. Go to him, right? Confess your sin, as First John tells us, and he is faithful and right to forgive your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Judas does not do that, but guys, that doesn't mean you have to make the same mistake. Um, so, Anyway, there's some details here about exile. Um, if, if anyone, by the way, ever brings this up um, as an error in the Bible, in Matthew uh, 27, verse 8. So it says, this is fulfilling what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. And then he actually quotes Zechariah 11, verse 3, um, or rather 11, verse 13 there. Um, so some people say, oh, the Bible's full of errors, and this is one of them sometimes. Uh, but actually, the background for Zechariah 11, 13 um, is Jeremiah. And so Matthew is very meticulous in kind of calling back to mind Jeremiah 18, 19, as well as chapter 32, which kind of lead into Zechariah 11. And Zechariah, he's kind of bringing all these things together. Zechariah's name means Yahweh remembers. And he's bringing all these things together kind of at the end there of the Old Testament. And this is one of those things. So if people ever say, hey, the Bible's full of errors or whatnot, and point out this passage, just remember, hey, the background on that Zechariah 11 passage is Jeremiah um, 18, 19, and 32. So it's not some sort of error. It is um, a big driving point showing that Israel's still in exile, right? That's why the kingdom hasn't come yet, because they haven't believed in the Messiah, um, in, in the Christ, the Son of the living God. Um, but anyway, we see that kind of rejection just continue to a pretty pungent point here, where the crowd, um, Pilate is um, kind of giving the crowd a softball here. He's like, hey, I'm going to bring up the biggest scumbag from the prison I can find, Barabbas, right, this murderer, and compare him with this guy that I'm going to present as the king of the Jews, right? It's the feast of Passover. I'm going to release a prisoner. Which one, guys, and which one do they choose, right? Um, even when presented with um, this kind of worst prisoner of all, they reject the Messiah, the king. Uh, and so it's so bad that it even reaches this point where um, they say, um, they, they just continue to say Barabbas, right? This is the one they want to re be released. And then he says, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all shouted, let him be crucified. And he even asked why, what evil has he done? But they don't care. They just yell, crucify him, crucify him. And when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing. He said, I'm innocent of this man's blood. He washes his hands before their eyes. And look at what the people say. His blood be on us and our children. This is complete and utter rejection. 
by the, by the people of Israel. And they, these same people, by the way, uh, Rich has been mentioning Acts 2. Um, just a few, um, few um, really months later, um, Peter is preaching at the Feast of Pentecost to some of these same people. And they are convicted of their sin. And some of these people become forgiven, right? But the means of that forgiveness is what we're going to see next. It is what the Lord did on their behalf, on all of our behalf. Um, and that is where we see also the blank on the outline there for chapter 27. The king is crucified for his people. The king is crucified for his people. And the account is very replete with Psalm 22. Um, we're just going to kind of breeze over that for the sake of time. Um, but um, it is the utter depths of what our Lord went through there. Um, the darkest of the dark for us, right? Even being forsaken um, by his father, by God. Um, it, it is so sad and creation even responds to this. Um, so you can read that in the, these sections there into the death of the king, right? Um, and people who are seeing this are saying truly this was the son of God. Um, and this guard is set at the tomb um, in order to keep any sort of falsehood from occurring. Um, and it's actually very, uh, very interesting how this actually changes. You know, the Pharisees are like, oh, we don't want the some sort of lie to get out that Jesus is, you know, raised somehow, so set a guard. And then very soon, we're going to see right here in chapter 28 that um, they say, oh, go ahead and tell a lie that he was, um, his disciples stole him while they were asleep, right? It's this complete hypo hypocrisy from the Pharisees. And again, Matthew writing to Jesus, like, who do you want to follow? These liars, these um, these, you know, Israelites leaders, or do you want to follow this one who actually did this, um, right? And uh, chapter 28, the first blanks there, the king lives despite lies. The king lives despite those lies they were just talking about. Um, so he, on the dawn of the first day of the week, right, this kind of sunrise coming up, this light, remember that we were talking about, that's dawning and spreading and overcoming the darkness. Here we see Jesus, the risen king, he is coming. And he finally commissions his people. Um, and this is the last um, kind of conclusion there. The king has all authority, right? He has conquered sin and death, and he has all authority. So what does this mean? Well, the discussion question, um, how does the king's death change your life? Um, so um, that's that first discussion question to consider, which we just don't have time to get to. The second discussion question, how does the king's resurrection change your life, right? His death and resurrection, because he died we too are now dead to sin. All of those things we've done wrong are wiped away and we ought to not go back to those things, right? As a former manner of living. But we can now live instead, right? With him, we can speak with him even now, right? And in addition to that, guys, we can live our lives for him, for the risen savior who will return. Um, and then the king has all authority and the discussion question really centers on this great commission, right? What does the authority of Jesus mean for our lives? That is what we opened our discussion on the Gospel of Matthew with talking about. This is what it means. It means make disciples. It means make disciples. It means, you know, maybe you guys are considering, what, what am I going to be when I grow up? Well, guys, there's actually a clear answer. You're going to be a disciple maker, right? If you know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that is your main thing. That is who you are. Is a disciple, one who learns from Christ, who wants to be like Christ and follow Christ and help others do the same. And how do we do that? It's as we're going, right? As we go through this 
um, world, right? Maybe as you're becoming a um, doctor, a homemaker, a accountant, or a business person, or whatever it might be, right? As you're going, your main job is not just to do good work in your job place, but it is to make disciples, right? That is what the king's authority means for our lives. It is making disciples, and we do that by going as we're going and baptizing them, right? Seeing them come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, right? It's not just bringing them into the faith and then that's it. No, it's helping them, helping nurture them along towards knowing Jesus Christ better, right? Further and further. And how can we do this great task of disciple making over all the world, by the way, all nations? It is this right here, behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, right? God is with us even now through his Holy Spirit who indwells us. He is with us and in us, even to the end of the age. We are looking at the beginning of our time. What is the sign of the end of the age, right? Uh, well, all the way until that day, right? When he returns and those signs we talked about, guys, this is what we ought to be doing. We ought to be making disciples. This is how we can be found doing as well. This is how we can live in light of the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, by making disciples. Let's go ahead and go before him with a word of prayer. Lord, thank you so much for who you are. You are the king who has all authority. And one day that'll be so obvious on this earth as you reign and rule from your city in Jerusalem, Lord, over the entire world. Right now, Lord, I pray that you would reign and rule in your heart, in our hearts, Lord, that we would be your people who are found doing your will at your coming, Lord, that we'd be those who follow you as disciples, Lord, and we help others do the same, Lord, that we would be those who make disciples, Lord, knowing that you are with us in that process, Lord, as we become more like you. And Lord, one day all things will be summed up under your son, Jesus Christ, the true King of kings, Lord of lords. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.